Are you ready for the last episode of 2016? 2016? Which solar calendar are we going by? Persian calendar says 1395. I'm so confused right now. Hello and welcome to Science Brunch. I'm Mae Prince and I'm here with my friend Katie McKissick. That's me. Also known as Beatrice the Biologist. And today we'll be talking about Omar Khayyam, whom you may not know anything about. Uh, which is indeed the case. Yeah. So <laughs> tell you all about him. But before that, do we have a science starter? We most certainly do. But before I uh, give that appetizer to you, uh-huh. to you hungry, hungry people, let hungry. me just give you our disclaimer once again that we are joined <laughs> not only by a baby, but yes. by a doggy. A doggy. There's a doggy and a baby. So you <laughs> and might, sometimes they make noise. Yeah, you might hear my dog yawn. You might hear the baby just kind of gurgle. And I apologize for that, but hey, what are you going to do? Basically, just attribute any weird noise you hear to the baby or the dog, even yeah. if it's like weird mouth sounds. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. just, it's them. It might just be me too. Sometimes I make weird <laughs> no, noises. No, no, no. It's them. Yeah. We didn't edit it out. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Anywho. So the science appetizer today is a pretty big deal. Mm. And it is that the first human trial using gene editing techniques happened in China. Really? Did you hear about this? No. Yeah. So, so CRISPR is, we've talked about it a little bit before. It's one of the basically DNA scissors that are just, which we've had before, you mm-hmm. know, gene editing techniques. I mean, that's how we have genetically modified organisms and all these things. But CRISPR is a, a new tool that is incredibly precise and you can just have it cut just the right place. And so you can do really interesting things with it. And it's been in the news lately because they're trying to figure out who exactly invented it and can own the patent. Oh, God. Yeah, that's a whole that's other a issue, mess. isn't it? Yeah. But um, up until now, no one has done anything with humans because for, you know, some obvious reasons. That's, ethical. Yeah. There's medical. ethical concerns, some slippery slope kind of concerns. It's like, yeah. oh, we're just going to have these genetically modified people. And where do you draw the line? And oh, my God. Um, <laughs> but um, so we have... so. There are some things planned for 2017 in the U.S. to use CRISPR with people, but mm. uh, China beat us to it, which might lead to sort of like a Sputnik-like race to like who can do oh, great. things with people and CRISPR faster and better and whatever. Mm. But anyway, so the the thing that the trial in China was for um, someone who has lung cancer, mm-hmm. and what exactly they did was they took uh, blood cells from this person. And then using CRISPR, they deactivated a gene that codes for a protein that actually tamps down the immune system. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the ways that cancer uses our immune system against us because it takes advantage of how our immune system doesn't go around attacking all of our cells. Right. And and because cancer is you, of course, they don't attack your cancer cells. So that's one of the things that keeps cancer able to you know keep on multiplying and kill you so they turn off that sort of setting in your these immune cells so that hopefully your immune cells will attack your cancer Mm -hmm. so they so they take the blood out they do that to white blood cells your immune cells and say they turn off that gene and then they re-inject them back into the person Hmm. so that is what they did and a lot and a lot of the plans for using CRISPR do involve treating cancer and things like that. It's not so much for, you know, Creating pumping up yeah, your muscle cells or doing something like that or changing your brain cells. It's really about trying to target your cancer cells in some mm. different way. So, and that is what the, the next year's, you know, 2017 U.S. possible trials would be involved with too, is cancer. But uh, yeah, so 
the threshold has been crossed. The zombie apocalypse is nigh. And it's been really nice <laughs> knowing all of you. No, I'm, I'm, totally, I'm totally kidding. I'm just... I mean, how do, necessary we, com- how do we combat this? Do we, do we create Captain America? <laughs> like, I don't what know. Do? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what we do with this. And um, yeah, I mean, because we can make laws in the US, but, you know, we can't control what other countries do necessarily. Right. Or, or maybe we're all going to make some kind of pact to say we will use it for this and not for this. And I think some countries in Europe are already starting to make regulations about what you can use gene editing for. Like they don't want people to start using it in embryos so much because it brings up all sorts of issues that they've had before regarding right, that's the, the master Gattaca, race the Gattaca and all stuff. That. Yeah, yeah, where it's like, oh, okay, so let's go in and make sure and, and change the part where, um, you know, you have bad eyesight or right. you're predisposed to this disease or, or you know whatever. Let's get rid of those genes. But then once you get to eye color and hair color mm-hmm. and skin tone and all of that kind of thing, it gets grosser. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be interesting to yeah. see what. I mean, that's in our lifetime. Oh, yeah, yeah. It'll be full swing in our lifetime. Yeah, it's it's happening now, so. It's crazy to think that we only figured out what DNA was for, like, I don't know, 60 years ago. (laughs) We only figured out what it looked like. (laughs) Right. I mean, they were, yeah, they were, they figured out what it did within two years of what we figured out what it looked like. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, I think the term gene was, was coined in 1909. Mm-hmm. Like that's crazy. That's yeah, just a so... hundred and seven years ago, you guys. Yeah. So that was sixty years ago. Imagine what's going to be happening sixty years from now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're this is an exponential knowledge growth rate that we're on in terms of biology and DNA. So yeah, it'll be interesting, I guess, and hopefully not involved in zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean, some other apocalypse will probably get us first. <laughs> So I'm not really worried about it. It's not a matter of of if. It's just which apocalypse. Your apocalypse. (laughs) Choose your own adventure apocalypse. I totally joked on Twitter like a month ago or so. I was like, so you know, college freshmen, choose your major by what kind of apocalypse it will prepare you for. Like, let's just look down the line (laughs) and decide that. Yeah, so if you if you want to fight, you know, gene spliced monsters. Maybe go into biology mm-hmm. and get a degree in genetics mm-hmm. and chemistry and figure that out. Well, yeah. And I think that, re- you know, recruitment wise, you have to keep in mind that too. It's like, major in biology, help stop the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I mean, come on. Or the huge, you know, disease epidemic that wipes us out. Or, you know, if you want to get us to Mars, you know, just uh, go into to mechanical engineering, and mechanical yeah, engineering totally. and all that aeronautics. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, we'll need you. Yeah. So just... <laughs> I like that. I like that. Choose choose your major based on the apocalypse you think is imminent. It's good advice. Well, that's cheerful. From me. <laughs> so, tell me about our, our buddy and what he did, because I have no idea what's happening. Yeah, so actually, I chose Omar Khayyam, and that's his commonly known name. His full name is actually, which I'm going to butcher terribly, I'm sorry, it's it's Arabic, Giyath al-Din Abu Fat Umar ibn Ibrahim al-Khayyam. Nice. Yes. So, yes, we call him Omar Khayyam. So, <laughs> because it's easier. Um, but this is actually the furthest back we've gone oh. in Science Brunch. So, I think before this, was it Mary Anning who was the furthest back? She was born in like no, 1799. Galileo. Oh, that's right, Galileo. Yeah. So Galileo was... was, was, was 16. Uh, 1600s. Yeah, he was born in the 1500s. Yeah. So Omar Khayyam was born in 1048. 
So this is the Middle Ages. This is before the English language existed. (laughs) It's before a lot of things. (laughs) Um, It's kind of crazy. So the reason I chose him is that the Western world knows Khayyam because of his uh, quatrains, like these poems that he wrote. And they be they became famous in England because someone translated them and brought them. And actually, like, tons of people have quoted him in speeches like Martin Luther King Jr., Bill Clinton. You find references all over pop culture. It's just kind of crazy. But he was actually a very talented mathematician, astronomer, and uh, also physician. He was trained in, in medicine. And so I figured... This is a good time to uh, kind of explore that side of him, since we we rarely hear about it. The only reason I really hadn't heard about him is because I studied um, Iran and Persia for a little bit, and he is known in those circles uh, because he's kind of one of their philosophers and the math you know. doctor. Yeah, so and he's he's famous for those reasons. So it's it's interesting. What so a Renaissance man. He is a Renaissance before way before the yeah. Renaissance. <laughs> Pre-Renaissance. Pre-Renaissance man. Yeah, so um, so he was born in 1048, and since that is such a long time ago and so far out of our realm of general understanding, I wanted to yeah. provide some historical context so we kind of can orient ourselves. Yeah, is this the Dark Ages? Of- I mean, it's. I think it's like right after the Dark Ages. Okay. So I know when we think Middle Ages, we are more familiar with like kind of the European Middle Ages. I was going to say, yeah, in Europe, so. Right, so it turns out like, yeah, the Middle Ages in Europe were kind of sucked. Yeah. Like, I mean, in my mind, everyone's covered in dirt and like, you know, trying to farm and whatever. So the other side of the world uh, in Asia was actually doing much better. (laughs) (laughs) They they were really on top of things and they had, you know, all the good arts and sciences and math. And meanwhile, Europe is just like (laughs) bowling around in the dirt, basically. Like those scenes from Monty Python are just, yeah, covered in dirt. Exactly, exactly. So, okay, so full context. So he was born in an area that is now Iran. Okay. But Iran has not existed that long. Persia has existed a long time. It actually started with Cyrus the Great in 550 BC. So that's how far back kind of this whole thing starts. Then we get into the year 330. So this is after Christ. And it's uh, Constantine is the first Roman emperor to convert to Christianity. And this begins the Byzantine Empire. So the Byzantine Empire goes until the mid-1400s. So that's kind of the span. So that spans past Omar because, you know, he died in the 1100s. So at that point, you know, Christianity is the official religion in the Byzantine Empire. Around 620, Prophet Muhammad, who, you know, founded Islam, he begins consolidating power in Medina. And Islam starts spreading from there. So that sets up the whole, like, Christianity versus Islam uh, problem. Um, that, that's done now, though, right? Yeah, we, we resolved it. <laughs> I'm, really glad, well, I'm really proud of you guys. <laughs> you really, really did a good job. Um, so then at this time, also in the 700s, the Moors, you know, as Islam spreads across Asia and North Africa and trying to get into Europe, um, Spain is conquered by the Moors, and the Moors are Berbers and Arabs from Morocco, and this is all going on. <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile in Europe, the Vikings, led by Leif Erikson, uh, they established small settlements in North America. This is around the year 1000. Okay. Right? And so um, during Omar's lifetime, it was the Ghaznavid Empire, 
And this was in kind of the lands that are now Iran, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. So that's what we, that's the region that we know today. Um, There was, you know, all these different tribes and dynasties vying for power all over the world. And in this case, it was the Seljuks. And they took over the area that is now around kind of the Iran-Afghanistan border. So that was where, that was a region where he was born and kind of lived his entire life. Little more context. So this happened during Omar's lifetime. The Normans conquer England. William the Conqueror, 1066, arrives in England. He's like, I'm the king, gets crowned. And that's the beginning of England as we know it. Yeah, can I tell you, when you said, you know, that it was around that time, that was what I thought it was, 1066, yeah. that that happening. That was I know. the only like, clue I had. And that's why I mentioned the English language, because that was a really big part of yeah, how and, what became the English language. You know, And before that, it was the Anglo-Saxons living right. there. And then the Normans, you know, the Anglo-Saxons were like Germanic origin. And then the Normans were Norse origin. And they had kind of taken over parts of France. And they came from Normandy, which is why they're called the Normans. And, you know... Okay, so that context. So it's a, a long, long-ish time ago, I would say. <laughs> it is a longish time ago. And also, I mean, also during his lifetime was the first instance of uh, movable type used in printing was invented in China. Oh. So that became important later because, you know, books and stuff. Burks. Burks. I love those things. Yeah. And then uh, this is also the time 1095 was the first crusade into Jerusalem. And... Um, Later on, you know, 1220, the Mongols, led by Genghis Khan, sweep through Persia, destroying everything, taking over, and eventually, you know, the Ottoman Empire rises and then eventually falls and at the end of World War One. So that's kind of the general scope of things that are happening. Super fun times. In that region. Super fun times. So Middle Ages, 1048, he's born in the province of Khorasan, which is now in northeastern Iran. And when, at the time that he's born, Islam is spreading through North Africa and Asia, and the Ottoman Empire um, is, starts later, 1299, in Turkey. So he was tutored in science, philosophy, astronomy, and mathematics. He actually had really good tutors growing up. His father, I believe, was a physician, and so he thought it was important for him to learn all those sciences. I think the first book of surgery had been written by an Arab shortly before that, so they were really on the cutting edge of medicine and math and algebra and geometry. Like all of those fields really emerged from this point in time. Meanwhile, again, in Europe, rolling around the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, and I always have to think about what any, anyone who was a physician, you know, pre-anesthesia, you know, <laughs> yeah. it must have just been so much fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he actually, he turned 18 the year that William the Conqueror invaded, uh, invaded England in 1066. And that was also the, the year that his father died. So he, at the age of 20, 22, joined a caravan that was headed um, to Samarkand, in, which is now in Uzbekistan. And that was the center of scholarship. So he really wanted to be able to keep on with his studies. He was very interested in mathematics and while he was there, he actually came um, under kind of the wing of one of his father's old friends who was a judge, a prominent judge and a governor of that province. And so he was able to support him in a way that allowed Omar to write his famous algebra work, which is called the Treatise on Demonstration of Problems of Algebra. And he really like was able to dig in on a lot of theories and, and figure out um, things having to do with cubic equations that advanced the entire field of algebra. Wow. And 
Yeah, so he, he ended up, he developed a geometrical approach to solving equations and solved cubic equations by intersecting a parabola with a circle. It's really hard to explain all of this when you can't see, but there are resources online, and, and we'll tweet some of them, um, that show you kind of how he figured things out. The interesting thing about this is that at the time, geometry and algebra were not yet linked. Like, people thought they were completely separate things. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so when you say geometry and algebra, so this is kind of like finding the area of a very oddly shaped, you know, uh, like piece of land or something like that? It's like realizing that they are actually part of the same realm. So it said, let's see, it said... um, Algebra and geometry were not successfully linked until the 1600s, which eventually resulted in the modern XY coordinate system. So you know how in algebra you learn how to graph equations? Right, right. Yeah, that didn't exist at this time. Like to them, algebra and geometry were separate. However, um, Omar thought differently and he said, whoever thinks algebra is a trick in obtaining unknowns has thought it in vain. No attention should be paid to the fact that algebra and geometry are different in appearance. Algebras are geometric facts, which are proved by propositions five and six of book two of Euclid's elements. So (laughs) clearly he knows his theory, his mathematical theory, and he's advancing that entire field with all these books that he's writing. So we actually wrote 10 books, four of them on math, one on algebra, one on geometry, three on physics, and three books on metaphysics. So kid was busy. I'll say. Yeah. So he actually, he was also a philosopher. This was all during a time when Islam was the official religion. And it was kind of like not cool to have philosophical ideas that went against religion. I mean, this was the case for anywhere in the world at this time. Like you couldn't be part of the Byzantine Empire and speak out against Christianity or whatever. So part of that included you know, saying that there was no afterlife and things like that. And his poetry later, which, you know, that he writes and became famous in Europe, was very much like, there is no meaning to life. There is no life after death. But in his philosophies, he was much more, he adhered much more to to Islam and and religion being like, oh, yes, there is a God and life has meaning. So he's just trying to appease people. See, that's that's one of the things like people don't know and they're trying to figure out, you know, what exactly his ideas were. Maybe just depended on his mood. He's like, <laughs> I had a great day today, so life has meaning. <laughs> Everything's cool. Don't worry, guys. So around ten seventy three, he's about thirty five years old. His talent as a mathematician and astronomer is pretty renowned at that point. And so the king, Malik Shah, asks him to come to the capital city, Isfahan to build a, an observatory and redo the calendar. Ooh. So this is something that I found extremely interesting because my my knowledge of math and understanding exactly how he advanced the theory of algebra, very limited. <laughs> and my ability to explain it orally, even more limited. So I, I kind of fixed on this calendar problem because it brought up something in my mind. You know, we kind of take the calendar for granted. And I don't. We... I think it's weird. <laughs> Most of us take the calendar for, <laughs> for granted. And we don't realize, you know, do you realize that part, the Islamic world has a lunar calendar that they use? And the Iranians have a calendar that is also different than what we use? And they use it right now? They use it right now. So if you go over there and you say it's It's, it's March, 2016, they will be like, no. No. Actually, no. 
And it's this month? No. <laughs> so, yeah. So this is how it all came to be. So the history of the calendar in this, for the Persians at least, originally in Babylon, they used like a 360-day calendar. And they eventually like modified that and added five days so that a year was 365 days. And that happened around, you know, like the 200s. And I think that was with uh, Julian, the Roman emperor. And that was based on kind of the Egyptian solar calendar. They had figured out how long a year was and how many days should be in a year and all that. I find even that impressive. I know, right? (laughs) So so then, you know, in the 7th century, Muslim Arabs overthrew the dynasty and they declared that the lunar calendar would be used. The problem with the lunar calendar is that it only has 354 or 355 days in a year. So if you go by the lunar calendar, you keep falling behind, basically. And so your calendar months get thrown off kilter with the seasons. Right. So like all of a sudden it's summer in January or something. So you're just like your frame of reference is constantly changing and it's kind of confusing. So they went to the lunar calendar Malik Shah was like, I'm done with the lunar calendar. This doesn't make any sense. And the reason why is because before that, it didn't really matter because they were a nomadic people and they just wandered from place to place and they kind of just lived in that way and didn't have to coordinate across an empire. So it didn't matter what the date was. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But now with this empire that is just expanding by leaps and bounds, in order to administrate it, you know, in order to collect taxes... They have to say, okay, we're going to collect taxes in November after the harvest is in and after everyone is flushed with cash, right? Well, if November keeps moving backwards Mm -hmm. within a matter of years, suddenly you're asking for tax, you're going to tax a harvest that hasn't even happened yet. And so people are like, what the heck? We can't pay. So he decided, screw the lunar calendar. We're going solar. Right, because the moon is the worst. I mean, we can all <laughs> it's agree. It's the worst. It's <laughs> the worst. He's like, the sun is definitely the way to go. <laughs> so he calls up Omar, and Omar comes, and they put together a team of astronomers, and they build this observatory. And through this, they're able to accurately measure the length of a year to 365 days, 0.242198581156. Basically, exactly how long a day is. They figured this out. In the wild, (laughs) in the year one thousand, you know, ninety or whatever. How did what? (laughs) I know it's it's crazy. So I would not. I would I would just have died of of math fatigue. In that quarter of a day, that extra. That's why we have leap years. Yeah. So because every four years it adds up to one day, so we have to add a day. This is where we get into the difference between what became known as is now known as the Persian calendar. Back then it was known as the Jalali calendar. It was named after the king whose name included the 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 name Jalal. So the difference between the Jalali calendar and the Gregorian calendar, which we use in in the, in the Western world, and I think which was uh, finally reformed in like the mid 1500s. So. The Gregorian calendar, we just say, there's this many days in a year, these are the months, this is how many days are in each month, and regardless, we don't, like, watch the sun every day to figure out exactly what day it should be. And, like, and and if there's a leap year, we just have one every four years. Like, that's how we do it. The solar calendar is different because they're constantly observing what the sun is doing in order to figure out what the day is. How exhausting. (laughs) So basically, a natural solar year is approximately 365 days, 5 hours, and 49 minutes. 
So for the calendar, they start at the point when the sun appears to cross the equator from the southern hemisphere to the northern hemisphere, as viewed from the center of the earth. So that's how they mark the beginning of the year. Okay. Meanwhile, we're just like, whatever, we made a rule. It's January 1st, we don't care. Exactly. (laughs) So unlike the Gregorian calendar, in which we have a leap year every four years, the Jalali calendar has eight leap years every cycle of 33 years. Oh my lord. And it's kind of spaced unevenly it's not like every two yeah, because years every 33 three years. doesn't isn't divisible by eight <laughs> no 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 there's like a system for that oh my um so all of this results in differences between the gregorian and the jalali calendars one of which is you know our new year's day is january 1st and we just know that's the rule for the jalali calendar the first day of the year is the 21st of march basically which is the first day of spring right and that's why iran celebrates Nowruz, which is the first day of spring that's their i like that new being years. the first day of the year that makes a lot more i know sense. it does make a lot more sense so it makes sense for the first day of the year to be the first day of spring because they were an agricultural society and like our our first day of the year is like in the middle of winter like well, i, I wish I mean, my my thing that i has always bothered me is that our first day of the year is very close to the first day of winter and the, you know the shortest day of the year right i wish that it, it, we did that at least i mean it's like have it on the solstice you know or what's also really close is when we're i think it's when we're the closest to the sun mm-hmm. i wish that it was that day or or something it, it's it, but instead it's neither of those things i so know it's just this yeah it's very arbitrary and yeah there's this very weird historical and i i think the calendar was originally set to like a day of easter they wanted to they, they oriented it around whenever they wanted easter to be but easter moves every year which is I also really, i always forget when easter is well because it always changes <laughs> I, i'm like wait what month does it usually land in? i don't even remember yeah. yeah i don't know how that's calculated either <laughs> it does not make sense <laughs> oh, so actually the calendar that omar developed and which was initiated by malik shah in 1079 was used until the 20th century and today, Iran still uses a calendar that is based on the Jalali calendar. It's now known as the Persian calendar, but it's basically the same thing. Like, this thing has lasted wow. a thousand years. And do you think anything that will do will last a thousand years? <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> but the interesting thing is that, meanwhile, the Muslims are like, no, you really need to use the lunar calendar because that's what was recommended by Prophet Muhammad. So the Islamic lunar calendar is used to determine what all the Muslim holidays are, like, for example, the month of Ramadan when they fast. So Ramadan, that's why Ramadan moves throughout the, from year to year. So like one year it's in November and then the next year it's in October. It just keeps moving according to the lunar calendar. That's why it doesn't make sense because we're looking at it from a solar calendar perspective. So that calendar, the lunar calendar is known as the Hijri calendar. And then there's also the Persian calendar, and then there's also the Gregorian calendar. So all of this adds up to the fact that on the on our calendar, on the Gregorian calendar, it's year 2016. On the Islamic calendar, the Hijri calendar, it's year 1438. And on the Persian calendar, which is based on the Jalali calendar, it's year 1395. This is really frustrating to me. <laughs> I'm really <Why>? upset. <laughs> But, but it is just so fun. I mean, you, you know, you, you started at the beginning saying, you know, this is something we take for granted, but, and, and, and of course I, I joke, but I mean, I have thought about how annoyed I am that our first of the year isn't on either the solstice or uh, perihelion or when, when the sun is closest to us, we do take it for granted and we just go along with our day, but yeah, we can't even decide as a planet 
what no. year it is or what day it is. No. What are we going to do? I don't know. May. And of course, the Gregorian <laughs> calendar starts with the birth of Christ. Yeah, which... I, like, it, we count from there. Yeah. That's, that's 2016 years since the birth of Christ, supposedly. Yeah. Whereas the Islamic calendar... And the Persian calendar are based on the year that I think Prophet Muhammad went from Mecca to Medina, which was 622. Everything but because is they count things differently, that starting point, you can't just add 622 to those numbers right, to get the 2016. Years aren't the same. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my God. So yeah, so <laughs> ultimate confusion. Um, I don't I don't have OCD. That is that's you know, that's a real thing. I have like borderline OCD, and yeah. right now it's flaring. Yeah. So so kudos to all the Muslims who know both calendars because... <laughs> they have to constantly code oh, switch. man. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Constantly. I mean, they're required kind of to, to use the lunar calendar because all of their Islamic holidays are based on that. But they, they basically keep track of time with solar calendar. So in any of your research, did you find out why in the United States we do month, day, year, where everybody else who does our calendar does day month year this does not even include that problem <laughs> that's the other thing i think about sometimes like why do we do this yeah. this is really weird it's really it's just like another frustrating thing having to do with calendars <laughs> so anyway omar figures all this out they initiate the calendar in 1079 that lasts for the next thousand years next so malik shah actually dies and his vizier is assassinated. <laughs> Things really go south politically. Ooh. And so funding for the observatory stops. And Kayam has to kind of figure out the next step. Um, and he actually starts coming under attack from Orthodox Muslims who don't think he's religious enough. And so I saw some reports that he takes that opportunity to uh, do a pilgrimage <laughs> to Mecca to be like, Bye, guys. See, <laughs> See I'm religious. Um, <laughs> But he does try to remain at the court and tries to, like, regain favor with the new ruler. And he does this by writing books about great men in Persian history and how they did all these public works and science and scholarship to kind of ingratiate himself back so into the court. he's paying his taxes. He's paying his yeah. intellectual taxes. Yeah. He's like, instead of writing about math, I'll just write about how great you guys are for a while. <laughs> and then maybe you won't hate me. Um, so then another empire rose in the year 1118. At this point, Omar is 70 years old. They move the capital again. You know, each time there's a new, <laughs> each time there's a new person in charge, they move the capital. So now it's moved to Merv Turkmenistan. And so he's like, right, 70 years old. He gets up and moves to Turkmenistan. So then in Turkmenistan, he writes more books on math because that is his true passion. Totally. Um, so it's kind of, uh, <laughs> poor baby's having a hiccup fit. It's kind of his true passion, and it kind of sucks that the Western world is only really familiar with him for the poems that he wrote, because even his contemporaries didn't really like his poetry. They well, just does he have anything named it. after him? I mean, it's like, we all, it's like, he's, he does. We know about Pythagoras. I mean, right. And but... he, he does, he has like a minor planet named after him and a crater on the moon oh. and stuff like that. But the reason why he became part of western culture was through these poems so in 1859 this guy named edward fitzgerald he learned persian he translated these poems that someone sent him that were written supposedly by omar khayyam there were 600 short four-line poems these are known as the rubaiyat and rubaiyat means uh, quatrain it comes from a word in arabic and it refers to the poetic form which is, consists of like a four-line stanza 
So one thing about that is that the translator, Fitzgerald, kind of played fast and loose with the translation. And so there are actually better translations of uh, Omar's poems than the ones that were published in 1859. And scholars have kind of been doing more research on it over the past 150 years to try to figure out exactly which poems can be attributed to him or not. Uh, some of them, you know, were kind of added on after the fact or attributed to him that didn't really make any sense. So they're trying to actually like follow the line of philosophy to figure out, does it make sense for him to have written this poem or was it likely someone else at that time? I mean, again, this is a thousand years ago, so yeah. kind of hard to tell and, and keep track of that stuff. But he wrote about several different themes. So Really, really lighthearted stuff like the impermanence and the quest for the meaning of life, the problem <laughs> of evil, the here and now, doubt and bewilderment, the theology concerned with death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul. This is getting pretty emo. I don't know, <laughs> I know. about this. I just imagine him with like his bangs like combed over his face. <laughs> and he also dealt with, uh, you know, the issue of free will and wisdom. And so some of the interpretations of his poem have been colored by Sufi poets who actually came after. Sufi poets talked a lot about wine and intoxication as kind of a, a metaphor for the divine. So they would say, oh, I got really drunk. And what they meant was, I saw God, <laughs> basically. Um, but because his poems were kind of focused on, oh, life is senseless and meaningless. Let's get drunk. It's probably just let's get drunk. <laughs> like, there might not be another layer of meaning to that. So rather than just it's Friday night, it yeah. has to be that there is no meaning. Why bother? Exactly. And it, he, he writes a lot of poems he to like, that effect. He sounds like a really great guy to have at a party. No, he's basically like, oh, do you want to think about the meaningless of life? No, just have some wine and get drunk. Okay, awesome. Now I feel better. Today we call that alcoholism. <laughs> I know. I know. But like, yeah, he was just, I guess he was a party dude. Um, so these poems became so popular in Europe that they actually colored the perception of Persian poetry in Europe forever. <laughs> and he became, I think, the most popular poet for a long time. And later kind of Sufi poets took over with, uh, you know, Rumi and Hafez kind of came on the scene as well in the European consciousness. But Omar was the first guy. In addition to tons of references to the Rubaiyat in literature, songs, movies, famous people's speeches, there's also a 1957 film called Omar Khayyam oh. that is in Technicolor. <laughs> and I started watching it and it looks insane. I mean, it's clearly like a white guy painted brown. And oh, no. <laughs> I know. I agree. It's terrible. Yeah. The baby does not like that. <laughs> So among the emo-ish things that he wrote was uh, one about the here and now, the art of living in the present. And it is, Today is thine to spend, but not tomorrow. Counting on morrow breedeth naught but sorrow. O squander not this breath that heaven hath lent thee, nor make too sure another breath to borrow. Wow. I know. He's a really cheerful guy. <laughs> I like it, though. And then on uh, on uh, determinism, he wrote, The moving finger writes, and having writ moves on. Nor all thy piety, nor wit, shall lure it back to cancel half a line. Nor all thy tears wash out a word of it. Whoa. <laughs> Wait, let, let's unpack that one a little bit. Wait, we, what? It's basically like, 
you know, your destiny is written. There is no changing it. Mm-hmm. There is no going back. I mean, I think part of that well, was... Well, erasers weren't invented yet. He didn't know about erasers. <laughs> yeah, all they had to do was invent the eraser. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think his points were like, you know, you can't choose where or when you're born. You can't choose the structure of society that you're born into. However, you can kind of shape the sociopolitical... Uh, environment. I think I also heard a there's no 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 good crying over spilt milk or something in there. It's like your tears aren't going to change anything. <laughs> exactly. Stop crying. Exactly. You stop stop crying. Just stop crying. Stop. stop it. Yeah. And um, maybe that's what he told his kids if he had them. I don't know. So there are also tons of parodies of his poems. And uh, one of them, the best one I thought, was published in 1904 by an American writer and illustrator named Oliver Herford. And he wrote The Ruayat of a Persian Kitten. And it mimicked particular poems that Omar wrote. So here's an example. So the original, the original poem by Omar. Some for the glories of this world and some sigh for the prophet's paradise to come. Ah, take the cash and let the credit go, nor heed the rumble of a distant drum. Hmm. And from the Persian kitten. Some for the glories of the soul, and some mew for the proper bowl of milk to come. <laughs> ah, take the fish and let your credit go, and plead the rumble of an empty tum. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like tons of these, and they have illustrations, and they're awesome. So I'll definitely tweet them. <laughs> yes. So that's Omar. He died in 1131, age of 83 or so. That's impressive. And, you know, the Mongols went on to invade Persia a couple hundred years later, and the Ottoman Empire rose and fell, and the world ticked on, and everyone still used his calendar because it was awesome. Yeah, that's wild. It's it's interesting to just think about things that were that long ago. And, and, yeah. and of course, it's not even that long ago when you really get down to it. So it's, it's, it's weird. It's such a contradiction to think about that, that time period. Oh, man. I know. And, you know, it's it's interesting to think as well, like we're, we have a very Eurocentric view and we forget that Absolutely. parts of the world got to places way ahead of us. You know, medicine, I mean, the Chinese invented gunpowder, a lot of military technology ended up coming out of Asia. All the trade was happening through Asia. You know, Marco Polo finally got his act together and came over and figured out what was going on. But like, they had so much more established administration and and government um in that area just because their empire was so much bigger it's kind of crazy well so when we invite him to brunch yeah he's probably gonna order a lot of bloody marys <laughs> so we'll, have, like, we'll have to go somewhere wine he would like sangria oh okay gotcha. yes gotcha. i wonder when sangria was invented was it after the Moors left <laughs> Spain? <laughs> I wonder what he would order for food, though. Hmm. No pork. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> but, I don't know. Lack of pork really cuts out a lot of brunch options. But you can always get pancakes. Yeah. Pancakes, everyone likes pancakes. Easy. And waffles. Mm-hmm. Chicken and waffles. He might just be like a toast kind of guy. <laughs> that's true. For all we know. He's like, what's the point of brunch? Yeah. Life is meaningless. What's the most depressing thing I can order? And we'd be like, no, dude, the point of life is brunch. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're, order, we're ordering the most decadent things. You know, we're getting uh, eggs Benedict. And he's like, can I just have a piece of toast? <laughs> and dude, a jug of wine. Come on. <laughs> 
but yeah, it was it was really cool to learn about him, and it made me realize that we don't we don't learn about scientists from that part of the world as much as we should. I mean, come on, they invented algebra and geometry. Like, shouldn't we be learning more about them? Yeah, I don't know. And medicine, and we don't learn about the stuff that the Chinese invented. So I don't know. Well, we'll yeah, try our, to our do a better job. Our education is full of bias, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I just hope that when we invite him to brunch, we can figure out how to tell him what date to show up. <laughs> I know. We'll give him all the dates. Yeah. But like, here it is on the. It might have calendar. to be like a same day invitation. Calendar. I know. We'll just we'll just kidnap him and take yeah. him to brunch. Basically, the only way to make sure we all show up at the same time and day. But apparently, that happened like when they were reforming calendars and like switching from system to system. Like, especially for religious holidays, they wanted, they, it was very important to have those holidays on specific times on the calendar. And because they weren't sure which day it was falling on, they just celebrated it multiple times. Oh, that works. <laughs> They're like, well, we're not sure exactly what day Christmas is on. Just so we're to just going to celebrate it yeah. three times. <laughs> Which actually sounds like not a bad system. It seems like maybe they they game the system a little bit. I like it. Yeah. More days off. So that's it for this episode of Science Brunch. Please join us next time when we talk about something we haven't figured out yet. And in the meantime, subscribe, review, follow us on Twitter, do all the things. And uh, we'll see you next time. (laughs) 